dream. It was clearer than a memory. And I heard the sound of thundering hooves, splintering shields and ringing swords. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Lucky Doll Podcast. This is your host, Elias Rush. This podcast is sponsored by ElisRushMedia.com, photo, video, digital media production. Today we're discussing House of the Dragon, season one, full season review. It's not going to be anything, uh, you know, super detailed. It's mostly going to be opinions based off of seeing the entire season over the past what is it, 10 weeks now? Was did, did they come over 10 weeks, I think? Yeah, so um, I gotta say, so anyone that was interested in Game of Thrones obviously is probably following into the House of the Dragon. It opened up with around 10 million uh, plus viewers, I think per episode and continuously uh, grew. A lot, <clears throat> a lot of people were um, comparing the apples and oranges nature of the fantasy realm of Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon versus versus the Rings of Power and Lord of the Rings and how they were doing things over there. Um, I'll say just kind of off the top of my head, I have seen all Rings of Power. I've seen all of the Game of Thrones uh, through season eight and I've seen House of the Dragon now and I've seen all of Lord of the Rings so just with uh, uh, saying that I haven't seen the Hobbit movies uh, by the way so just was saying that Game of Thrones House of the Dragon definitely does uh, scratch the itch of fantasy realm for me um, Rings of Power Lord of the Rings um, it's just a different type of fantasy. Um, like Game of Thrones, very much is is of the adult um, realm. And when I say that, not that Lord of the Rings isn't. It's just that this, you know, the the violence, the sexual nature of it, the the gruesomeness of Game of Thrones is much more prevalent than Lord of the Rings. Kind of a rated R versus PG thirteen type situation. So just with that, I felt. Mostly, I'm way more aligned with House of the Dragon, Game of Thrones type lore and type storytelling. So, um, this is not a comparison podcast. This is just, you know, talking off the top of my head of the two properties off of the dome. So, with saying that, House of the Dragon, I was with uh, a lot of people uh, kind of skeptical about going into the House of the Dragon. I was with probably the millions of other people that were disappointed in the last two seasons of Game of Thrones. Dan, D.B. Weiss, and Dan, whatever, I forgot, the writers that were adapting the original Game of Thrones first six seasons and then kind of had to improvise on the last two seasons were uh, kind of fed up with Game of Thrones, as we've talked about in the previous podcast, that... They were ready to kind of get off the project. They had been on the project for almost 10 plus years um, at the time. I think that was 2019. Um, I think they had started around 2010. So <clears throat> they were going on 10 plus years, I believe. And they were ready to start a new project. So the last two seasons of Game of Thrones kind of felt uh, expedited, rushed. Uh, storytelling was not the same it had been for the, pers- for the, pers- for the first six seasons 
Most people categorize the first six seasons of Game of Thrones as some of the most influential, most memorable, uh, low-concept, high-fantasy storytelling that we have ever seen put to the quote-unquote small screen. It was basically like having a movie released every week. And I got to say, I was here for it. You know, I loved Game of Thrones up until like uh, the last two seasons. And even the last two seasons still have that cinematic quality. They just didn't have the storytelling that we had loved in the first first couple seasons. And so going into House of the Dragon, I was tepid. I was not super eager to go back into the world um, initially, but once the first few episodes had started, it felt like it, it felt like getting back into the pool, you know, just kind of getting acclimated to the temperature. And I just was enthralled with it. I know that the first couple episodes, we're getting ready to start spoilers here in a minute. I'll give you a heads up for anybody that hasn't, that wants to kind of bow out, but, and join us back for the full season review. But, um, just kind of as a roundup, it did take a few episodes for me to kind of get entrenched with the characters, the lore, the understanding of the world again. We are taking place about just uh, under 200 years before the world of Game of Thrones um, as we know it starts. So it is a prequel. Um, so like I said earlier, when we were comparing the Rings of Power, the prequel to Lord of the Rings, the movies, and this move, this show... The um, uh, House of the Dragon is the prequel to Game of Thrones, the shows. It's very interesting how all these two different properties are kind of taking and mining uh, the history of what of uh, property and franchise they've already created. And so, and most people would say Lord of the Rings, just as Game of Thrones, both are very successful and highly regarded properties, um, despite some of the, uh, let's just say, The Hobbit is not so well well regarded as much as the Lord of the Rings original trilogy, kind of in the same way as the last two seasons of Game of Thrones um, uh, are not the best of the Game of Thrones seasons. So the lore it does have for both franchises has the um, you know the franchise uh, warts and all you know. So both of them have their scars. Both of them have very uh, highs, very in in various lows. So going into House of the Dragon, it did take me a few episodes to kind of get acclimated and understand, uh, the, you know, the characters, the characters' names, who's the king, who's the successors, who's the good guys, who's the bad guys, all that type of stuff. But with saying that, um, you know, House of the Dragon, I think it was around episode four or five, I realized, I was like, damn, I've missed the hell out of this world. Um, just House of the Dragon... There's not much television on like it. Some of the the verbal f- verbal sparring to the betrayals to the succession lines. It's just so watchable, um, and I can understand the people that don't want to watch it. There are there is a level of cruelty. Again, I'm not gonna say against women but it feels like you know the world is very rough and maybe sometimes 
overly brutalized in some ways. But I think that you can honestly make the argument for both ways. Now, with saying that, um, before anyone gets started and watches the full season after that, you know, my somewhat of an endorsement, um, I, <clears throat> I personally do endorse the show. Um, the first season. It's very, very watchable. Um, There are some very harrowing scenes in it that are hard to watch. Um, And I've heard recommendations on both sides of should these harrowing scenes be in this or not. Now, um, earlier in the original Game of Thrones, it was normally uh, sexually charged uh, scenes, um, mostly regarding some sort of uh, sexual assault or um, you know, not portraying sexual um, situations um, in the best light. Now, with saying that, I don't think that this show has that problem. I think generally everyone agrees that everything's very uh, when when it's very clear, it's very consensual on both, relatively clear on both sides, give or take power dynamics, but. Um, you know, it's not quite as speculative as to whether these scenes should be there or not. The scenes I'm really specifically talking about um, have to do with uh, the birthing scenes. Now, I've heard on um, both sides, we're getting ready to start spoilers here in a minute, but before we get into spoilers, i got to say that there are some very difficult scenes to watch with regards of pregnancies. You know, some are good, some uh, don't end so well. You know, I, I don't think it was a spoiler to say, but there are multiple pregnancies within this um, season that um, maybe could... Uh, I feel like maybe streaming services should give you the option of, like, let's just say if I was triggered by pregnancies that are potentially hard to watch, then maybe having like a warning or something to pop up or at least an optional uh, warning tag to say that, you know, sometimes when there's a sexual, I think normally when there's a sexual assault shown on, on the TV, um, on an episode, normally it'll say like trigger warning or something like that. Or if it's, if you're, if you have epilepsy, it's going to say flashing strobing lights, that type of thing. Um, I think that they could probably, it'd be an easy thing to just kind of insert like a little title slide for people that want to be, uh, aware kind of going into, this is what you're about to watch. Um, so yeah, I'm just trying to give anybody else a heads up that these were, these were very harrowing scenes to watch, um, you know, just in the last uh, 10 weeks. So I can see watching this as a binge would be difficult, especially thinking, all right, thank goodness that we're not going to have to watch that again. It's like, nope, there's multiple scenes where women are having to deal with. Um, and I say specifically women as in, you know, as if like men aren't having to deal with you know, in the situation too, but it's it's very much focused on women. So I just wanted to kind of... Um, make that explicit. Um, I, I, I'm kind of split down the middle about how much should be shown, how little should be shown. I, you know, I think representation of all kinds, whether it's, uh, I'm not even talking about like diversity representation, but representation of, you know, the human, uh, uh, the, 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 the human condition of, you know, birthing, re, you know, birthing and stuff like that, uh, you know, death, Obviously, these are things that we've had to deal with hundreds and millions of years, regardless if we're on, you know, 
watching a television about fantasy and whatnot, sometimes it's, uh, you know, kind of important to show that type of representation, even though we aren't showing something that is scientifically, historically factual, you know, it's kind of rooted and based in it. So, you know, we kind of got a little serious there, a little small tangent off of the, uh, uh, the very harrowing scenes in House of the Dragon, but I think they're they're important to kind of discuss. Um, but yeah, so we are going to discuss uh, House of the Dragon season one in spoiler section here in a second. I uh, appreciate everyone listening, watching the Lucky Doll, Lucky Doll podcast, whether you're on uh, luckydollpodcast.com or on YouTube's or any social medias that you're following us on. I appreciate it. Um, but yes, you know, despite these uh, these harrowing scenes. Uh, you know, a little bit controversial, but at least it does show representation. So I think some representation of these scenes is important. But with saying that, what is what about the rest of the House of the Dragon? How is the rest of the House of the Dragon in comparison to at least the, uh, its own Game of Thrones? Well, House of the Dragon does have its kind of its own flair. It has its own um, main title. It keeps the music from the original, you know, as as usual. But um, um, the the usual Roman Juani. Uh, dun 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 dun, uh, which some people might say doesn't feel authentic and original enough, and some people say, eh, it works. You know, what if it ain't broke, don't fix it, kind of thing. So, um, I gotta say, from the main titles to the the casting to the characters to the story to the intrigue to the overarching, am I glad that it exists? I absolutely am. I, you know, if it was a movie, I'd say it's an eight out of ten. It's, it's right up there with some of the highest mainstream media that I've watched all year. Some of the best television. Um, definitely going to be on top ten seasons of the year, uh, television seasons of the year. And you know, I, it's it's a full ringing endorsement for getting back into into the world of rest, Westeros, even though Westeros has its problematic aspects of it it's still a highly watchable and entertaining piece of uh fictional location and 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 obviously the media to watch you know i I think it's very watchable um and yeah there there are problems with the season don't get me wrong and i'm not gonna be able to uh spell every single one of them out but i gotta say is very watchable for me even from the first couple episodes, a lot of people were trying to compare Rings of Power and uh, House of the Dragon together. And I'm just like, it is steak and lobster for me. Like, I, I totally see the the good aspects of Rings of Power, but I just feel like it is not the same type of storytelling. It's way more wide scope, and um, they're trying to be way more of the old school Game of Thrones, whereas the House of the Dragon is kind of trying to pave where it's more micro scale. Um, Focusing on the Targaryens and the the lineage of the succession of of power. So, um, yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of House of the Dragon. Let's talk about spoilers for this season real quick. We're not going to go into like super super detailed um, spoilers. Obviously, if you've watched it, you know about the Rhaenyra. You know what about the Viserys, the Daemon, the Matt Smiths, the 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 greens versus the blacks the high towers the uh Reese Eifen doing an amazing job I talked about it in the first episode uh, go back and check out the first episode of uh House of the Dragon first I, I I had a review for the first three episodes but um 
yeah, I enjoyed the the hell out of the season. I think it was highly watchable. I liked kind of the micro view uh, of kind of focusing on these characters and their almost day-to-day operation and then doing like a 10-year time jump over the course of like an episode. The time jumps were probably one of my biggest um, issues with the original storytelling because the first, I want to say five episodes, we have almost a, uh, an entirely different cast playing, uh, you know, Rainier and uh, Alicent. And then we get, uh, I don't want to say we get upgraded, but we want to, we get the uh, older versions of those characters as well. Um, uh, I don't have everyone's name. Like I said, this is not going to be a super... Um, Super on the nose. Let me see. Uh, yeah, the, oh, I say Emma Darcy. I believe she goes by they them. So forgive me if I accidentally say she or something like that. Um, so she, go, yeah, like I just said, she Emma Darcy goes by they go by they them. Um, Olivia Cook comes in and plays. She plays Alicent, and so. Uh, originally I was very much against the whole aspect of the time jumps. The time jumps were happening really fast for me as the watcher, uh, just as a television watcher. Like I said, I'm not watching this. Uh, I'm only watching this, not reading the books or anything like that, not reading ahead. And so, um, yeah, I think the easiest way we could probably talk about this, uh, season is by character line. So the Millie Alcock actress plays Princess Rhaenyra the first few episodes and I was like I was instantly hooked by this character. She can play she plays uh stoic, she plays dramatic, she plays uh, she can play immature if she needs to, you know, kind of playful. Um I think that she's an overall overall a movie star in the making and I can't wait to see her in almost anything else just because she was very captivating with the way she was able to capture the uh the screen's press she had she had strong screen presence is what I'm thinking or is what I'm trying to say Olivia Cook uh everyone I feel like everyone I know is coming out of the woodwork to say oh yeah um you know uh, Bates Motel, everyone remembers that. And I'm like, when the fuck were y'all watching Bates Motel? I was like, nobody talked about that shit. So, um, you know, Bates Motel probably would have blown up a lot more if it had gone straight to Netflix. I think it took a while to get there. But I think once it hit there, most people found uh, Olivia Cook there. I'm not exact. I, know, I think she's been on Me, Earl, The Dying Girl, Ready Player One, Sound of Metal. Yeah, she's been on uh, a lot of big... Uh, pieces of media recently I've uh, loved to see her kind of uh, explore uh, different genres Um, she's magnificent in this okay so um uh, so yeah the whole premise of the first season stems from Princess Rhaenyra and her best friend Alice at Hightower and them uh, kind of uh, splintering off as friends, you know, Alicent ends up marrying, uh, Princess Rhaenyra's father when her, her mother dies and cause starts to causes massive rift. And then the rest of the season just becomes this, uh, rolling ball of, uh, an avalanche just coming down all the way to destroy and, you know, 
uh, you know, the the rolling ball of war coming down to, you know, uh, you know, to explode and implode, sorry, implode the Targaryen lineage. And, you know, there's this whole side subplots with, well, it's not even side subplots. It's kind of more or less like uh, the lineage question of, you know, are those really your kids, Rhaenyra? You know, we know that your husband might be gay, Rhaenyra. Um, um, you know, considering he doesn't look like your kids don't look like your husband at all, barely look like you. So it's <laughs> there's uh, there's the strong bloodline, which comes into question. So there's the strongs. Um, and then we have Larry's and uh, I forgot the other the other the other strong um, Sir Harwin, I believe. Um, so anyways, we following through the season season one covering the majority of the best friends breaking up of Princess Rhaenyra and uh, Queen Alicent. But once we hit about episode six or seven, I believe it was really when the rift became uh, super apparent and that's when you know the children of Allison are starting to question the the, the whole kingdom apparently got it somewhat questioning about the lineage of the Targaryens and you know are they uh, real you know full-blooded uh, Targaryens type thing and they actually aren't they're Strong's kids so uh, it's just interesting to kind of see how the deterioration of this uh, lineage is happening. And I got to say, it, it it's just, it rolls off the tongue. I feel like despite the time jumps, the time jumps do a twofold. It allows you to kind of explore and it makes it feel like this has been a very long time with these people. Um, and that there has been a long scope in history shown. And I enjoy that. I just feel like the time jumps didn't happen soon enough. I think the time jump should have been about every three episodes. And it took about five episodes. So that was my only thing. Instead of dividing it down the middle. Or sorry, and dividing it into like thirds. It kind of divided it down the middle. The storytelling. So, um, yeah. I Like I said, I, I found it extremely entertaining and watchable. And it, it most of the... The reason I'm very forward with this is because the majority of this feels very organic. I'd say the only thing that really sticks in my craw um, would be the strong storyline. There is this uh, Larry's the quote-unquote clubfoot uh, strong. He is kind of this this whisper behind closed doors and he's kind of obsessed a little bit with Alicent Hightower and trying to help her, you know, get a leg up into the, uh, as high as she can go into the success, into the lineage of the line of succession. And so his, his, his motivations lead him to end up burning his father and his brother and I felt like there was nothing in the storytelling that really led me to believe that he would ever do that it just felt like a consequential thing that we wanted you know they wanted us to, to see and I just I don't know it that type that was a quick storytelling decision that I felt just happened so quick and that was one of my biggest problems with the season of you know 
they had to eliminate the Strongs to bring back the Hightowers because uh, um, Otto Hightower was uh, banished as the or, or exiled as the as the Hand, and then he comes back. So, yeah, a lot of um, intrigue behind closed doors, betrayals, that type of thing. It's all your favorite uh, pieces of uh, Game of Thrones coming back together. And so, yeah, I enjoyed the hell out of uh, the majority of the season. That's the strong storylines, probably honestly the weakest, ironically. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then we have the Sea Snakes and Princess Rhaenys, and she's the princess that never was. It's a fascinating story at the beginning that we're shown kind of very briefly about how she was the queen that never was. She was technically older than Viserys, the current king in the show, and um, she technically was closer in line, but apparently... This is where it's kind of getting fuzzy for me in the lore, but there was older siblings that had died, so it left it down to... um, uh, Patty Constantine's um, Viserys Targaryen, and so yeah, uh, I I loved Eve best as Princess Rhaenys. Uh, she's uh, just like Millie Alcock. She kind of just commands the screen, and I just enjoyed enjoyed watching every scene she was in. There is a scene, um, and we're, like I said, we're talking about spoilers at this point. Um, there's a scene in the middle. Where, uh, or sorry, this is probably episode nine at this point, where Rainies is busting out with the dragons and, you, you know, um, getting ready to show the high towers exactly, uh, you know, her full power, but she decides not to. And I think the, the character decisions of her not deciding not to, you know, blast the high towers into the next realm is one of the reasons I actually enjoy her character. I know that was another thing that a lot of people were saying that she's like, why didn't, why didn't she just, you know, destroy the high towers right there? Um, and so I, I, I just feel like she plays very smart. She's almost like always playing three or four steps ahead and she's not always quick to succumb to circumstance. Um, same thing to kind of Lord Corliss. Like I, I did, I did feel like he was a little bit, um, I I would have liked to have him a little bit more in the season, but I enjoyed pretty much every scenes he was in. And, um, you know, he, he seems to be understanding how the game works on a, on a separate level, not on like a higher level, but on a different level than what Rainey is, is playing. You know, so they kind of play the game a little differently. Patty Constantine, everyone's talking about him and his performance. I got to say it's phenomenal. This guy's going to, probably racking the awards he has scenes of him just his body deteriorating throughout each episode that just bring him to the point of just complete stillness I think it's like episode eight or nine where he's completely done I think episode nine is when they're wrapping his body so he's done an eight um phenomenal performance one of the best performances of the year uh I gotta say with him having uh, the deterioration of his body and his face and just uh, the mask and him busting in on uh, every uh, everyone trying to uh, uh, call bullshit on Rainier's, uh, Rainier, Rainier's kids and he busts up in here. 
with this cane and uh, everyone's just like, oh shit. It was just one of the most epic uh, shots I had seen all year. I was like, this is a fucking performance. And then, you know, Matt Smith uh, coming up to him as he's, um, you know, he's struggling to get to his chair. And then this, apparently it was improvised that the the crown fell off uh, King Viserys's head and they kept rolling apparently and Matt Smith just puts it back on his head very gently kind of like just showing that he does respect his brother despite their disagreements throughout the entire season there's still this layer of uh respectability i guess between them um yeah love that performance uh sir harwin westerling we, he has a very interesting side subplot of uh uh the 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 king's guards uh lord commander and he's you, you know he's kind of just the eyes and ears from the security standpoint uh sir kristen cole i knew from episode like two i think that i was gonna hate this guy and he just turns into the one of the most dislikable asses throughout the whole season um you know the actor does a great job but i just uh, i hate that character so much uh and of course matt smith uh the indelible Matt Smith, he just, everybody, everybody was talking about Damon all season and, um, you know, bad boy Damon, you know, he does a lot of dislikable things, a lot of things that are, uh, dismaying, terrible, kills his wife, uh, seduces his, uh, what is it, his niece, um, he does a lot of terrible things, but he is honestly a badass, you know, from slicing Lord, uh, Corley's brother's head in half, to coming in and killing the crab eater, the crab feeder at the beginning. Um, I mean, he's just kind of, it's hard not to be like, yeah, that guy's a fucking badass. Um, but yeah, with saying all that, all these, the acting is phenomenal. The, there, there's no, there's no bad sides. Now, uh, the, the, I wouldn't say it's necessarily a problem, but I, the, what is there three or four births throughout the entire season? And over, I think two or three of them do not, end very well um stillborn or or worse you know death by dragon fire uh i i don't know i kind of a mixed opinion how they treated the sea snake and his family um you know given that they are the most predominant actors of color on screen i didn't feel like they had tons to like the daughters weren't really, I didn't feel like that they had much to say, but they were more just there to be on set, you know? So I would have liked to see them a little bit more developed and obviously one of them doesn't make it. But anyways, um, yeah, the house of the dragon, I got to say is a very watchable, entertaining sometimes hard to watch but uh and, and you got the action-packed filled um dragons in this it feels like it's got a bajillion dollars making these dragons move um I, I think the cgi generally looks pretty damn amazing for the quality of you know what we're getting this is like higher quality stuff than we were getting on hundred million dollar movies 10 years ago so it's it's just incredible what they're getting and also they are paying fucking out the wazoo for these dragons um that's why it takes two years to basically make one of these seasons 
Um, yeah, Ryan Condal does an excellent job. Z- uh, Zabachnik, uh, Miguel Zabachnik. Um, I know he dropped out after a little bit of, uh, I think the third episode, he dropped out. He decided he did not want to be a showrunner anymore. But again, he has been working in the Game of Thrones sector for over 10 years now. He's put in the work and he's, you know, tired. He's done this, he's been in this world for a long time. So don't blame him. A uh, couple things. Uh, what was it? Lord Beesberry got picked up at that one uh, by Kristen Cole. I was like, damn, why you got to do him like that? And that was all because, uh, you know, Alice at Hightower is talking about, you know, this made up prophecy for the show. So from what I hear, the made up prophecy for the show was that Aemon Targaryen was the king and that he's meant to be the king or something like that. But that was actually meant to be the other Aemon who is his, uh, I don't know, his uh, his grandfather or something like that, Viserys was getting it mixed up, and now Alicent is getting it mixed up, and Alicent goes to her father, and Mr. Hightower, and uh, her father, uh, what is it, uh, Otto Hightower, is just like, all right, the plans are now a go. Now my grandson becomes the king, as, as I predicted. It's like, what? Oh, it's so... Fucking Hightower, Otto Hightower has been scheming up since the fucking beginning. And I had, I had my doubts, I had my suspicions, but I didn't believe that he was going to actually go through it. He was actually much worse than of a guy than I was expecting, but he just had to wait for the king to pass. Um, but yeah, so, and then we have the, the white worm. She's, um, played by, uh, Sonoyo Mizuno, she was the lead actress in Devs, and she was also an ex machina. She's uh, and maniac as well, and Annihilation, big uh, Alex Gardner actress. Um, but yeah, so she she's a great actress. I don't know what she's doing with her accent in this though. I think every podcast I listened to was talking about her accent, and I noticed that accent almost immediately as watching it. It just sounds it almost sounds like a stereotypical quote unquote Asian uh stereotypical uh a- accent and I'm just like what is going on here and it kind of feels like it fluctuates in and out I'm not really sure what the direction they were going for with that but that was the first red flag I had in the show and I think that it took till episode three for that to really happen um again throughout the season uh you know Allison doesn't tell uh Larry's clubfoot strong that he needs to go take care of the white worm which inherently that didn't happen he just burns down her place and i think she's fine but anyways um yeah oh yeah and then the feet fetish scene with uh larry's uh and allison he's like jerking off to her feet or something like that now let's talk about this problematic aspect real quick now there's not many people i think the problem here is it's not it's not that he likes feet you know everyone has a kink as long as both sides are consensual about it then you know it's fine whatever it's not about liking feet it's the fact that he's the really the only person of uh that has some sort of quote-unquote disability um on the show and he has this weird random fetish of feet and you know it's like all right because he doesn't have perfect perfect feet then he jerks off to perfect feet kind of thing you know it's like oh my gosh it, i i don't know what to say about it i all i gotta say is really that that's the best thing that y'all could come up with i'm just like ugh. sometimes 
I felt like the show was kind of just doing things for shock value, and I felt like this was one of them. Just controversial things to keep the 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 show in the conversation for the first couple days of the week, just so that you can come back at the next week to talk about something else crazy. And there was things that were happening crazy. You know, Allison's kids, they growing up to be fucking, uh, what is it, Amen, Damon, Raymond, all the fucking uh, colors of the wind. I forgot all their names, honestly. I'm, I'm recording this a little bit late after the uh, show has come out. But, yeah, so at the very end, let's just talk about the what had happened at the end of the season. So, essentially... Uh, King Viserys dies. The High Towers move to have uh, Aemon kinged, and is it Aemon? I think it's Aemon King Prince. Oh no, it's not Aemon. It's the other one. Uh, shit! I should have looked it up. Prince. God dang it! I'm going to have to look this up real quick. Give me two seconds. So anyways. Oh. Aegon, damn it. Oh, sorry. I was trying to remember where the fuck everyone's... Everyone's got this ridiculous-ass name. Some of them are the same. Some of them sound the same. So give me a break. Anyways, Aegon. So uh, so they moved to have Aegon uh, crown king. I think that's episode nine. Uh, the queen that never was bust through through the ceremony basically says that's it about blast everyone half to hell then flies off you know screams in their face on the dragon and then runs off and tells Rhaenyra um and again Rhaenys was being held captive during this whole time so she goes over to uh the black queen and um from there uh Rhaenyra you know is told that she has a day i believe to you know uh, get all of this situated and uh luke and prince uh jacaris or something jc jace is that his name what is it? how do you pronounce it where is it yeah jace okay so jace and luke run off on their dragons to go to two different places. Um, I think it's the Baratheons that Luke goes to. We don't get to see Jace at the end of this episode, but Luke goes and um, is trying to recruit the houses of the Baratheons, I believe, and then Jace is going to the Starks um, to go recruit everyone for this possible war of uh, for this the lineage of the succession of the line uh, to become queen. So um, you know, they Luke gets there and Amond, who has lost an eye at this point, um, due to Luke, they've been scuffling this whole season that um Eamon is already there and he has his massive fucking dragon. Uh I'm trying to remember I don't remember any of the dragons' names. Sorry about that. Um, he he claimed Damon's wife's dragon a few episodes before. And after doing that, he lost his eye due to Luke getting a scuffle. And ever since that episode, Amond 
looking like uh, as evil as possible. Long, blonde, black hair, eye patch, got a damn crystal under there as an eye or something like that. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Uh, So he's there. Says, Luke, you got to go cut out your eye. You know, eye for an eye type thing. And then Baratheon's like, absolutely not. Get the fuck out of my house. Y'all ain't doing this. Not up in here. Get the fuck out. <laughs> and so from there, uh, Luke is leaving on his tiny, tiny little dragon. And he's just kind of trying to book it. It's a nasty-ass storm. Got to get the fuck out of there. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, whoosh 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 and now we had seen it a little bit earlier but when he had originally landed at the Baratheons the first clue that Aemon was already there was this fucking giant ass fucking oversized ass dragon in the background of the city it looked like it was the size of the of the city in the background and it was terrifying to see when he's landed so it was twice as, ten times as more terrifying seeing it flying above him. It was the scariest shit I've seen in a minute. It reminded me of uh, uh, seeing, like, the big starships that were, like, quadruple the size as the small starships on, like, Star Wars when they're, like, being followed by the big, uh, you know, the Imperial ships and whatnot. So... It was just so oversized. There's just like nothing you could do to penetrate something of that size. And this thing is alive. Yeah, but picture that thing alive and coming to get you. And so it's literally chomping all at Luke, chomping all at uh, his dragon as well. And the, the dragons are kind of wild at this point. You know, they're, they're, they are wild and they'll do their own thing if they're not trained properly. Um and so a lot of people are speculating that, you know, the two riders, both Aemond and Luke, had lost control of their dragons. And, you know, they were, do, you know, throwing fire and biting each other. And then all of a sudden, Aemond can't, you know, doesn't control it, his dragon, and then chomps Luke and his dragon directly in half. And you hear Damon say, No! No, like it's about as bad as it could have been. And, you know, his dragon basically just chomps, chomps them directly in half. And all you see is dragon bits falling from the sky. And you're like, holy shit, just fucked them up. And, uh, you know, one thing I'm starting to notice a lot in shows is when we are focused on a single character, and let's just say it's the last couple episodes, and we haven't really been focused on these characters for very long, there is a high percentage this person is going to die or something terrible is going to happen to them because we're focusing the cameras on them so long that they want us to be like, all right, this guy's of some sort of importance. They do that to Luke through this episode, <clears throat> kind of following his, his uh, point of view. So, uh, yeah, we, we see the end of Luke and, uh, and the news being delivered from, uh, in this one shot that's amazing from, uh, Damon to Rhaenyra at the end of the season. And she just turns around and, you know, she, she doesn't say it, but she's like, you can see it. She's ready for war. And I'm just like, I'm fucking hype. 
in two years. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I I hope this was a somewhat of an informative podcast. Uh, you know, a little bit more lax, nothing too crazy on um, the recap of season one of House of the Dragon. Let me know what you thought about House of the Dragon comparisons, maybe Rings of Power comparisons. If you want to hear a little bit more in detail, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on all the social medias. I'm there on Discord, on Facebook, on all the other uh, social medias. Whether, I don't know, Twitter's going to be there in a year or not, who knows. Um, but, you know, look at all podcasts for all the stuff. Check it out. Thank you for listening, watching, look at all podcasts. Thumbs up, subscribe, you know what to do. Take it Where's duty? Where is sacrifice?